0: Hello listeners and welcome to today's episode of Blind Insights. I'm really excited to talk to our guest today because his book has expanded a toolkit I designed for myself hugely and has made me think about things I've taken for granted for a long time and realized I need to do a better job of using tools and controlling things. So I've said before when I've talked about being blind that you know the rage from being blind really doesn't stop. But I long since concluded that rage is fuel. You know, you can turn it into energy for performance. You can decide not to let it out to harm other people, but also you can be your own worst critic because of it. So today, we're going to speak to Moshe Ratson about his book, Anger is Your Compass, and we're going to see how he has dived so much deeper into something I thought I understood. The ultimate hidden truth of the world is that it is something that we make and could just as easily make differently. David Graeber, 1961 to 2020. Welcome to Blind Insights, a podcast we call A Haphazard Guide to Living. Hosted by philosophy master, David Olney, and myself, a philosophy student, Tim Whiffin. Hello, listeners. Tim's not going to be with us today because, unfortunately, he has a conventional day job. And our guest is in New York, so our time difference is kind of wacky. So we thought, while we had an opportunity, we better just record when we could. So, Moshe Ratson, welcome to Blind Insights.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: You have the coolest accent. (laughs) Thanks. Something you probably don't hear often, because you live somewhere where people from all around the world live in a big city. But here in Australia, we have lots of migrants, but not a lot of cool accents.
1: Yes, it's kind of has, has evolved, you know, from all, all my travels all around the world, I guess. So I picked up many, many accents from <laughs> different locations, I guess.
0: Like if I had to guess, it, it sounds a little bit like maybe a little bit of Poland or, you know, Central Europe, time in the US, time in Israel, where else? They're the sort of three bits I hear, but maybe I'm wrong.
1: Yeah, you, you know, some, I was in in France, in Paris, uh, so there is some kind of like probably French uh, some Middle Eastern, Israeli, of course, okay. uh, European. Uh, so, some might say even a little bit Italian, but I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> yeah, it, when you write your next book, you'll have to read your own book because it will sound <laughs> so good. Yeah, thank you. So I suppose the logical place to start is I worked out how to deal with anger out of necessity being blind. Was it... In life that you realized you wanted to understand this or as a professional you know once you became a psychotherapist that you realized understanding anger was so important where did you start your journey of wanting to understand this and and help people deal with it better
1: so this is a great question i mean uh, i must say that I, i got to to know about that subject only because after becoming like a professional psychotherapist i got my license and uh, connected with a group of therapists that, uh, for whatever reason, uh, as a Submergent family therapist, I mean, they all said, you know what, there is a big field that we have a lot of clients. Uh, it's it's about anger management. I said, okay, you know what, let let me let me go and 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 do that uh, for you know. But as I really dived in, tried to learn about the subject, uh, I saw that this domain uh what was was so large i mean uh and and you know obviously as a therapist i mean you always struggle with emotions how to deal with uncomfortable emotions but the the issue of anger it's 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 really unique it's it's so powerful it has this energy that it's so hard to tame and you know through my work i mean i um I started to develop this kind of concept, helping people in a relationship as as a therapist. Uh, And and I realized that if you can deal with anger, you can deal with any other uh, uncomfortable emotions, even small ones like annoyances, displeasure, frustration, uh, sadness, uh, pain, hurt, so on and so forth. And to be honest, uh, with time, I I also realized, I tried to analyze myself and... um, that I dealt with with the anger itself, yeah. Yeah. Uh, my my mom was angry, and uh, I know I remember when I, when I experienced that. I said to myself, I would never be angry. I wanted to be the coolest, the calm, and and but you can imagine what happened next. So next, surprisingly, when you get married and uh, having uh, kids, you start to realize that no, it's there. It's there and, and you have to face it. You have to deal with it. And yeah. uh, if, if I knew then what I know now, I, I, would, I, I would really deal with that differently. And so a lot of the elements that I try to provide in that uh, book is also what I went through that try to uh, deal with that and to manage to own it and, and basically help others as well in, in, in ultimately to became, uh, to become happy.
0: Yeah, listeners, as Moshe was talking, I was sitting here grinning like the Cheshire cat going, yeah, I remember the phase where you think, I'm not going to let this out and be a problem. I'm going to learn to be the coolest, calmest person I can be. And you try that for a while and you conclude, that was not a disaster. Because <laughs> <laughs> you discover that bottling anger up doesn't work. And you know, the word Moshe used there, I remember thinking the same thing, how do I tame this? And yet I literally remember the day where I worked out it can't be tamed, it can only be directed, so direct it towards something positive. And it was the 28th of August, 1998, even though the day. Mm -hmm. I call it brain snap day. Mm -hmm. Where I stopped trying to do dumb things with my brain and just let my brain be and go, no, you have to work with it. And the minute I realized, no, 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 you can't tame it, you have to direct it, suddenly it could become productive rather than destructive. Of course, I didn't know exactly what to do, but it was such a shift from tame to direct. Is that something you found in the literature, Moshe, or in your own experience, that when you change the perspective from tame to direct, that's when you got sort of a breakthrough of the direction you wanted to go in?
1: Yeah, I I think it's it starts with realizing that you have to own it. You have to own your anger. And it starts with personal responsibility. I mean, people can trigger you, yes, Mm. but they are not the cause of your anger per se. I mean, you have to dive into yourself Mm. and realize what is it that that really deeply is it the pain is it the hurt is it the inability to deal with the situation listen you can put two people in the same situation one would be calm. the other one will be angry and frustrated and, ag- and aggressive why is that hmm. there are many reasons for that of course but you know i always say you know there are four main factors that that really kind of lead to to someone being angry. I mean, you you kind of consider the issue at hand as uh, personal, relevant, and important to you. You judge the situation as dangerous, hurtful, unfair, or wrong. But more importantly, you lack the resources and the skills to resolve the issue in a calm manner. How do you get into that? That's That's part of the book of understanding the process. But you have to own it first. You have to be responsible and understand that this is you. And then you direct the project the projector to you rather than the outs outside the source of the trigger.
0: Mm. And the massively important thing that comes through in the book immediately is you've got to be compassionate to self while you're also being compassionate to others. You know, the reason to look inwards is to not find fault, it's to find a positive way forward. And that's such a wonderful thing about the book where you talk about the compassionate warrior, the person who gets angry, and then goes, all right, why am I angry? What thing do I need to resolve to not feel angry? And what tools do I need to develop to resolve it in a positive way and be less likely to be angry later? It, it's such, you know, the wonderful thing with it, it's powerful and gentle to self at the same time.
1: Yeah, as, as we mentioned, um, you know, underneath underneath anger is what I called unmet needs. There are four four categories of unmet needs. Our needs for survival, yes. Uh, Our needs uh, for survival is basically for safety and security. Yes. Mm -hmm. The need for uh, integrity and justice. Our need for love and positive regards. And obviously, I mean, the need for self-actualization and transcendence. And, And the moment that we are blocked... In one of these categories, then anger or uncomfortable emotions arise. And then we need to realize the specific needs associated with each one of them and then try to create value in the way that we are meeting these needs. So that's kind of like the process that we need to recognize the need underneath anger. And, and then we try to create a value. In that case, for example, our need for survival motivates us to protect ourselves and others. So the value is protection. In the second one, our needs for integrity motivates us to restore justice and harmony. Our needs for love motivates us to connect with our others and ourselves. And obviously, the needs for self-actualization motivates us to seek fulfillment and transcendence. So this kind of concept of unmet needs and from there to create value is an important aspect to really own what's happening within us and how we go about about that that's by the 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 concept of the compassionate warrior.
0: Yeah, when I started reading your book and you know you started talking about actualization the first thing that popped into my head was Viktor Frankl's book Man's Search for Meaning. Yeah. Because I remember, you know, it was one of the first audio books I ever listened to in about two thousand and six, when iPods were made accessible, and it just okay. It, you you don't have to have a specific plan, but you have to acknowledge if there's meaning in work, meaning in love, and meaning in suffering, and you can find a way to, you know, put meaning in all three. You're going to be okay. They are such fundamentally important things that they're going to give you a way to move forward. And really, your floor fits so beautifully with that uh, and with, you know, that amazing historical pyramid of needs, uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And I thought something that puts two such powerful ideas together as Maslow and Frankel, Mm -hmm. that's got Mm -hmm. so much power because it's linking some of the biggest ideas of the 20th century for helping people to go, what should I do? What do I need to do and how should I do it? Were you aware as you were working on the book how many things you were bringing together or would you just sit there and write and go, hang on, I need to to show where this comes from. Oh, wow, I need this author. And then the next bit, I need this author. Or did you have a really clear sense as you were writing that you were you were building on all these amazing foundations and just adding the next layer of stone in the amazing building of understanding this?
1: Uh, you know what? Uh, this is this is again. It's it's a powerful question. I have to tell you that when I started writing, and I, I didn't think it's going to be a book. I mean, I just wrote kind of like you know some kind of tools. Mm. And little by little, I, I love learn. I love digesting you know ideas and breaking from different modalities and 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 concept. I love philosophy, uh, neurology, psychology, and and um, you know there's so much uh, literature and i you know i tried to i didn't invent something new i think i tried to bring it integrated different kind of uh, concepts
2: mm.
1: to a framework that i think is 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 unique and 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 little by little uh, and i i i really got the help of my own clients got, got help of my editor and little by little developed uh, you know the concept so it took a long time, but uh, to, to do that, and it's, 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 even today, it's not the end.
0: <laughs> no, it's just the current version until you integrate something else in. And, you know, it's a wonderful example of sort of a Hegelian synthesis. Absolutely. There was all this literature on anger, and some of it said, no, just control it. Well, that doesn't work. Other bits of it said, no, you know, direct it towards these positive aims. Well, how? And to be able to synthesize all that and give people a single book where you'll see. And listeners, it's amazing. You read or listen to Moshe's book, and it is the who's who of deep thought for 3,000 years. It's cool because so many things I've read and gone, hey, I put that in my own head because it was useful. I put that in my own head because it was useful. Oh, that's a new one. And when you get that chance to both feel that something is familiar, but also new, in that it's shortcutting the path of putting all these pieces together. Again, if I talk about Brain Snap Day, where I worked out I couldn't tame anger, but instead had to direct it, was, you know, August 1998. There's a lot of reading since then to have got to the point I've got now. And I would have to say, for someone who is trying to work out how to direct, negative emotions anger you could save yourself a decade by reading moshe's book and starting to apply it rather than bumbling through one step at a time like i did and for me in particular one of the most important things moshe brought up is you can start getting used to directing anger because you know you can turn it into a way to power forward and achieve those positive things but the problem with that is it can habituate you to, well, I need a bit of anger now to get a bit of fuel to move down the path. So, Masha, for my sake in particular, I'd love you to elaborate a little bit on you know, that risk of anger can become your default for moving forward.
1: You know, like everything else, when you do something regularly, as you said, default, it's, it's anger can be a habit can be a habit now uh, that's why we are required uh, to be more mindful to understand to open our eyes and because habit could be good and habit can be bad so how can we judge the habit yes so hmm. we need to see the the, the the benefits or the value of that habit if you if you think that the habit serves you i mean you're not going to change But if it damages you and you see that you do the same thing again and again, but you still suffer or you hurt other people or it it doesn't serve you well, it's time to change. Mm -hmm. And then, then you have to stop and realize that, okay, what do I need to do? But first you have to, again, own it, realize that you are doing it, and then then, you know, direct it to create some kind of value for yourself. uh, And you need to really pay attention to that. Mm.
0: Like for me in your writing, the fact that you included integrity in your list of four things, you know, survival, integrity, love, and actualization. You know, integrity to me struck me as such a powerful one because one of the things, you know, I often used to teach undergraduates when I was teaching security courses, and you know talk about two elite soldiers when i was training them was the growing literature on moral injury and you know when nancy sherman started writing about moral injury you know the beginning of the understanding was there i don't know how many authors have taken it further but you know so much of the problem of moral injury is you know your sense of integrity has been hit with a hammer or corroded or damaged and finding a productive way to get your integrity back is such a powerful thing because in so many cases we are physically safe most of the time in our lives in so many cases in our life you know we have a rough idea that we'd like to grow and become something more than we are but day to day I think it's integrity and love are the two of the four that I think probably most people encounter most often that sense of if I'm going to be in a foul mood how am I going to connect with people I care about or connect with new people. And if my anger is actually a threat to my own integrity, then I'm going to be even less good to deal with threats to my integrity in the world. And in a world which is less and less personal, integrity and love are so challenged on a daily basis.
1: Yeah, and and integrity and love are very much close to one another. Yeah. Uh, you're right. And um, again, I think what is important also to see, you know, i took integrity also to to another level ju- beyond just what you call justice it's a sense of wholen- wholeness or um kind of like almost like looking at things from a very holistic perspective even for example if you think about your you have a particular standard that work needs to be done in a in a, in a particular way that's a particular integrity that is there Yes, how do you think, you know, uh, the world should be, a, a relationship should be, yourself as a, as a person, how should you conduct yourself? Yes, whatever standards you have in your mind, your ideal, that's some kind of, some kind of like level of integrity. Mm-hmm. So we need to question that. And how can we uh, reach that level? That's, we all know that if you think somebody supposed to behave in a certain way, and they don't. Gee, there is kind of like a crash of integrity here. Yeah. What do I do? Yes. How can I fix that to, to restore that integrity, to restore that wholeness? So, but obviously, I mean, there is a love is, is, is a perfect whole. Yes. So that's why both are connected so much. And, uh, and again, if we want to be integrity, I mean, we want to be a whole ourse- ourselves in, in regards to being authentic. Yes. That's also connected to that aspect. What what is integrity in some ways touch almost everything? What is protection? Mm. We need to again, because we are afraid some, somebody will will break us, mm. somebody will injure us, then we're not gonna be a whole. Mm. So yes, I mean so all these four elements of survival integrity, love and actualization are in some ways are interrelated. But, of course, I mean, I tried to simplify that. That's why I created these categories. But Mm. there is a lot of overlap.
0: Mm. It's really interesting in the case of integrity. One of the things that made me think about was reading Herbert Simon years ago, where he's talking about uh, maximizers and satisfizers. And all his research that showed people that want the perfect version of everything uh, end up being the least happy Mm. because they put so much time and effort in And in the end, they've built up such a perfect ideal, they just can't possibly achieve it. And I certainly know in my case, one of the ways I learned to be more compassionate to self was going, right, in this situation, this thing I'm about to do, where's the quality bar? Do I need to be a perfectionist or can I just do an okay job? And if I do an okay job, is that doing any harm to me or anyone else? And when you realize actually in so many situations, you know, integrity doesn't mean perfect. Integrity yeah. can have the compassion in it to say, actually in this situation, there is no need to be perfect. As long as I am me and I am kind and I interact with this person in a way where they feel safe and happy and I feel safe and happy and we get an okay outcome that ticks the job off, actually, that's all we need to do to maintain integrity. And that's been a gentler day with less internal pressure, which can potentially bubble up to frustration with other people.
1: Absolutely. I think this is such a powerful point that you mentioned again. That's where, you know, we talked about the the concept of a balance and proportional response to whatever measure is all. Yes, measure is all. And how do we go about fulfilling that, call it integrity? Because perfectionism, for example, is an extreme way of looking at things. Mm. How can we aspire to be better? Yes, Mm. not perfect, but how can we meet ourselves where we are and gently moving toward that while we introduce that element of justice, but at the same time doing that in a compassionate way, Mm. in a gentle way, in a kind Mm. way.
0: And compassion really relies on recognizing that, you know, perfect is the enemy of the good. Mm-hmm. And if you can do a good job of being compassionate to yourself, you're probably going to do a good job of treating other people well at the same time. What, you know, with your experience of being a, a psychotherapist, like, I, one of the big decisions I made with my anger very early on was, you know, I can mess up my own day in my own brain. That's totally acceptable. But I have no right to mess up anyone else's day or brain. Mm. So, my deliberate choice in my late teens and early 20s was to keep a bit of a distance with people when the anger was at its worst, not inflicted on people. And, you know, again, make my own life a bit miserable at times and a bit isolated because I didn't want to take the risk of inflicting it on other people and that's where i learned i've got the strength to do a better job because if you've got the strength to do that to yourself of isolate yourself well then how about you come up with a more constructive way to apply your discipline and your will but what happens you know when you're dealing with say two people who you know like a couple or two friends where they've got angry at each other for so long that anger now defines the relationship like how do you start talking to people where it's not just in their own head, but it's it's really, you know, inflicting harm on the people directly around them all the time? Do you start with one person or do you have to start with both? It depends.
1: At times, you know, uh, people come to me on an individual basis uh, as an individual therapist, and times uh, people come uh, as as couples. I mean, I, I love I love couple work because I like to hear the whole story. I like to hear the all sides, uh, and and you know that uh, there is some truth in so many versions, so many aspects. So the more you know, the more you'll be able to do that. Mm. But to your question, I do believe. I mean, it's it's definitely hard work because again, after people that are have been creating these kind of dynamics for such a long time, uh, and and it's become part of them. Hopefully, they came to me to realize that something need to be changed. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, something, that something different yeah. needed needed to be done. And obviously, I mean, there is a lot of psychoeducation that, that is needed to be addressed and uh, to be, you know, for me to teach them. Mm. But one of the most important thing is to explain to them that underneath anger, there is a lot of pain and hurt, mm. and everybody, everybody are doing the best they can. Unfortunately, they don't have maybe the awareness, the skills. You know, many people are blinded. Maybe there is a big kind of like habit. They, you know, they grew up in a certain kind of like a a home that uh, is, you know, anger was, was normal. So there is a lot of psychoeducation that is needed to explain to them. And, 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 but, again going back to all this concept i mean you have to have personal responsibility you have to have an attitude of non-judgmental mindfulness and ultimately having that you cultivate compassion so it's it's all these elements are not only one time plus it's an ongoing practices that requires us to change the way of thinking and later on our way of feeling and the way of behaving. And, mm-hmm. and it is a practice.
0: And the wonderful thing, it seems to me, is once you realize you can't tame it and you have to direct it, it gives you that first step of just being able to mindfully go, oh, I got angry in this situation. Is it anything to do with the situation or is it something I'm carrying around with me that the situation has triggered for me specifically? So it goes back to your point earlier. Two people can be in the same situation. One person's fine with it and the other person's angry. And that often strikes me. It's still one of those things that just will catch me out is a situation where I'm not angry, but someone else is. And I'll catch myself thinking, hey, but I'm normally the more angry person. How is it I'm cool about this one and that person's not cool about it? And then you eventually realize, well, because for them it's more of a trigger to whatever hurt they're carrying around with them. Whereas whatever it is isn't a trigger for whatever hurt I'm carrying around or whatever hurt I've tried to deal with. Like for me, that's not taking the scab off an old wound. And it, you know, it's in finding that compassion to see everyone deals with the hurts they're carrying differently. But the thing we can all do in common is be compassionate to each other and ourselves and again the choice of words you know in your book being a compassionate warrior that paradox of those two words you know that the warrior goes out to achieve those four positive things but they have to use compassion to be an effective warrior it's such a lovely paradox that to be effective to be successful in looking after ourselves and others you know we've got to combine being you know compassionate and being a warrior it sort of reminds me of eric grigton's book that he wrote um when he retired from being a navy seal the heart and the fist where he made the argument of courage and compassion have to exist together because either of them on their own don't get the job done as well as they can together
1: yeah yeah and i think um <clears throat> To me, the being becoming the compassionate where I mean I mean, I always say you know there are four questions that we answer. It's like who which is where ultimately you want to be the best version of yourself, yes, mm-hmm. you want to to be the innate, wise individual. You have to understand that this compassionate words always lives within you, Unfortunately, we don't have access to that, but it's there, mm-hmm. and we need to practice ourselves to really. Being able to access that and, and why? Because it's make yourself better and making the world better, not only yourself and our and the world. And basically, how do you do that? You do that, you do the right thing, yes, based on courage, integrity, and compassion. And for me, the compassionate warrior using uses anger to invoke wisdom and then use wisdom to transform anger to create value. Or the universe, Mm. which is also including you. Mm. So he's using again; he's using anger as a force for good, and and really utilizing the wisdom that exists within anger to propel himself and others to be in a better place.
0: Mm. Yeah, and the lovely thing is, you, in a sense, become you know a macrocosm, even though you're only the one person by taking the step back by going, all right, why am I feeling this? What does it relate to? What can I do that's positive? How can I you know, reduce the, the impetus for anger or negative emotion? And if I can't, well, at the moment, I can at least think about how to get a more constructive outcome. So the constant thing of you're one person, but you're a person living in the world and you can always have a positive effect, becomes such a rewarding cycle. The bigger your positive effect, well, you get more reasons, you know, to manage anger and negative emotion better. Um, Something I I thought about reading the book, and I think you hinted at it a couple of times, but I've always suspected if people sort of bottle up anger too long and don't find a way to direct it, that there's a risk they go down the path of anxiety or depression, because anger is an impetus for action. So if you don't take, the action some other negative emotion is going to come in either anxiety about am i going to explode is it going to get worse or the depression of why can't i bring about change is there much literature on sort of the link between negative emotions and how they feed each other or is that a new area that you might work on next or you know where does the world sit on understanding those kind of links
1: I, f- I think there is a lot of literature today in understanding that <clears throat> that emotions need to be felt. Yes. And and they need to be felt in the right in the right way. I mean you, I, I mean to one extreme I mean people can 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 repress it and they don't feel it, avoid it. Yeah, and then it's kind of battle inside and it manifests itself in a physical uh, heart attack. Uh, you know, stress in the body, mm. uh, even trauma, and so on and so forth. But also, you cannot be even uh, reactive to that in a way that you're hypersensitive and you just become volcanic.
2: Mm.
1: Then you feel it too much and you allow it to control you. And you need to get into a place in which you are able to feel your anger in the right way, temper it to the right and proportional way to the situation. And then once you are done doing that, you're able to introduce the wise mind, the rational mind to deal with the situation because a time when the anger is really extreme, it's almost impossible to control mm-hmm. it's It's really you know what it's called the point of no return that mm-hmm. that that you know that we all do that we all experience that and um uh, there is what it's called refractory period in which the anger is so strong that no wisdom, no rational mind can enter that. And that's mm. why I do believe that the greatest work is its prevention. Mm. Prevention is better than cure. The moment that, you know, at times, you know, if you're not catch that too early, mm. it's going to be very, very hard for you to control that.
0: Yeah, anger makes you catastrophize and you have to get past the catastrophizing phase and calm down like you used a wonderful example in the book of you know a a day where a friend's child had said something to your child and really distressed them and your friend didn't do something and you know you got angry and you wanted to pick up the phone that night and you did and Mm -hmm. you caught yourself and you went whoa no 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 mate can I talk to you tomorrow and your friend was a bit confused like of course you can but yeah you you grabbed yourself before you said something that could have hurt the friendship, and, and yeah. that's the power of just getting past the catastrophizing phase and being compassionate to self you know, and the other person going, "If I say something now, not only do I potentially hurt a friend, but I feel rotten about myself.- mm-hmm. you know, I wreck my sense of integrity, and then I have to work out how to fix the friendship and my sense of integrity, so why not just pause? Yeah, definitely. It's such an important thing. Hmm. Moshe, a final question, because I could talk to you forever because it's just so interesting, but also it's late in the night for you there. The value of the book is clear to me immediately, but how would you define its value broadly to anyone listening or anyone who you know a friend says hey have a listen to this podcast or maybe read this book what do you want an audience to go away with going yeah i need to read this book because i'm going to learn these specific things that can help me
1: yeah i mean uh thank you for asking that uh, <laughs> the you know, for me, I mean, this book, even for it talks about anger, it's, it's more. It's beyond that anger in itself. Uh, it is about uncomfortable emotions. It's ultimately, it's about uh, creating peace, personal growth and harmony within each and every one of us. So, uh, is, is our ability, what I call, to create emotional liberation really using the, the emotions as a force to really grow and liberate ourselves so rather than being controlled by the emotions using them as a force
0: for love, for integrity for happiness and that is a really good reason to read a book <laughs> Moshe Ratson, thank you very much for your time today I wish you all the success possible with your book And please let me know when you write another book because you write excellent books.
1: Thank you so much. I do appreciate that you're a terrific interviewer.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you, listeners, and I will talk to you again soon. Thank you for listening to Blind Insights. If the ideas of this episode have inspired you, please consider subscribing and sharing with your friends. Do them a favour so we can make a better informed and connected world. Thank you to Solstice Podcasting for use of their studio. If you're interested in making your own podcast, find out more at solsticepodcasting.com.au.